Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. All right, everyone's got one or with someone? All right, you guys ready for this? I am, I told you, I'm just excited and thrilled for what the Lord's going to do. So we'll get into this in a, in, a, in a second. Isaiah 11 will be another big scripture I'll have us go to in the, in the Word of God. But here's what I want to do. I want everyone to just, just stay with me for a moment. If you were here last week, I need to take a moment to just recap and, and kind of refresh what we, what we started to establish. I'll give you the, the cliff notes. I really encourage you to go back. But I want to do that because, one, it's going to really bring us into where we're going today. But, two, I think it's important to have some repetition because what we're doing, I don't know about you, for me, my mind is like completely shifting to what I thought it meant to fear the Lord as, as a, a believer, right? So just walk with me for a moment. Some of this may sound similar to last week, but I promise we're going to get into something new. There are, two, there are two commands that really pervade the scriptures. They are frequent. They, are, they dominate the scriptures. They're not the greatest commandment. That's to love the Lord your God. But there's two that you find over and over. And the two commandments is, number one is, do not fear. Okay, so do not fear. So we, we hit this last week. David said, I was set free from all of my fears. Uh, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he prophesied that when Jesus comes in Luke 174, he says, we will serve him without fear. We will serve Christ without fear, right? So throughout Scripture, there's all of these statements that say, fear not, fear not, Christ came to set you free from fear, and yet one of the most dominant frequent scriptures you will find in the word of God is we are to fear the Lord. We are to fear the Lord, and, and the question becomes, how do you reconcile those two? How are we so often said not to fear, but yet we're called to fear the Lord? And what we begin to find is that one of the things as believers we're called to rejoice in is this strange paradox of which on one hand, the gospel sets you free from fear, yet on the other hand, it brings you into the most delightful fear. On one hand, the gospel sets us free from crippling, debilitating, demonic fear that actually causes us to be afraid of God. Are you with me? There's a fear that actually causes, man, we'll look at, that causes us to shrink back and coward from God, to hide from God, to run from God. Jesus died on a cross to set us free from that fear and bring us into the most wonderful, delightful, awe-filled, transformative fear, the fear of the Lord. This fear actually opens your heart to God. It does not cause you to restrict, but it actually causes you to open up and engage with Him on an even more vulnerable level. This fear actually causes you to pursue God in even deeper measure. It causes you to cleave to him, the word says. Cling to him. This fear causes you to hate that which is not of God and love that which is of God. This is very different than just being afraid of the Lord. And what I, what I have found is that if we're not careful, the way, with a poor handle of the word, what can happen is we can present the fear of the Lord in such a way that we invite Christians to embrace a fear that Christ has set them free from. And I see this happen a lot, and we embrace the wrong fear of God, and it, Satan wreaks havoc in the body in this way. And I find a lot of times, like this was with me, I was embracing the, the wrong type of fear that God wanted to, to set me free from. What fears? We went through this last week. There's um, the fear of punishment, 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear, fear of punishment. I do not fear punishment, meaning the Lord disciplines, there's consequence to sin, but I mean Standing before the Lord on judgment day, that's what it's talking about. I don't fear that because I know it's wedding day. I don't fear that because Christ took on that punishment for me. I actually, it says, love is making me confident as that day approaches. I don't fear rejection. Romans 8.15, Paul says, you have not give, been given a spirit of slavery to make you fear again. But you've been given a spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father. This means when you're a Christian, the fear that you have is not living in uncertainty day to day of whether or not you're in the family of God or not. You have not received the spirit of slavery to make you fear again. You used to fear that way. But now in Christ, because the perfect one took on your rejection, you do not fear of being rejected out of the family of God. Why? Because it's his work that has brought you into the family of God. We don't fear death. Hebrews 2, he conquered that. We don't fear demonic fear. We don't have a spirit of fear. The list goes on and on, but here's how it's summarized. There's really two big groups. All those come under one group. It's called sinful fear or ungodly fear. There's ungodly fear and there's godly fear. Sinful fear is not that it's wrong, because all of us have felt it at some point. 
It's fear that is produced by sin. In other words, it's the fear that gets us to shrink back and run and hide from God. This is the fear that hit the heart of Adam when he sinned. God comes into the garden, says, Adam, where are you? And what does Adam say? He says, I was afraid, so I hid. This is fear that's produced by sin. It actually causes man to retreat. This is James 2.18 or 2.19 where it says, you believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Demonic fear where they actually are afraid of God. This is not the fear of one who is now washed by the blood and a son and daughter. Everything about what Jesus, everything about what Jesus did is to abolish that fear. Even the, even the proclamation of his coming, of his birth, demonstrates this. In Luke 2, when, when the shepherds were in the field, the angels came to them and they were hit with fear. And what did the angels say? Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that on this day in the city of David, a savior is born. Every part of Jesus' life is actually destroying this fear produced by sin to bring us into the most wonderful, delightful fear that actually causes us to cling to God. It actually causes us to love God. It causes us to pursue God. It causes us, again, to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. So what is the fear that God brings us in? Well, there's one other thing that's important. In order to understand the right fear of God, we need to understand this, that the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord are not at odds with one another. This is very important, guys, because most of the time the way it's presented is that fear of God and love of God are conflicting theologies, and you have to make a choice. Which camp will you set your life in? Will you be in the fear of God camp, or will you be in the love of God camp? And what happens is, is you got to make your choice, or you got to find some middle ground. But I want to tell you something. The fear that Christ gives us is not a fear that quenches our love. How can that be? What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Would God then give us a fear that would undermine the very commandment he wants us to walk in? Jesus died so that we would become one, like a husband and wife. Would then God put a fear in the, his people's heart that would actually get us to withdraw and not give the reward of Jesus' suffering? That we would be one. This is not a fear that causes us to drive back. The, when Jesus died, the veil was split open so that all could come in. Not just one tribe, all. Would God give us a fear that would cause us to retreat from the Holy of Holies and remain in the outer courts? This is not the fear of God. This fear actually caused us to want to come into it. And here, look at this scripture. Look at Deuteronomy 10 on your sheet. I'll share this so you can see this. This is seen throughout uh, this, this connection of fear and love is throughout the scriptures. Here's another one. And I know that we were hitting this last week. I want, to, want you to see one more. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, Moses, speaking to the people of God, says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, okay, to walk in all of his ways, okay? But look what it says next, to love him. So what does the Lord require? That you would fear him and that you would love him to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How can that be if we present fear and love at odds? And what we began to see last week, guys, is that fear and love are not opposing theologies. They're deeply connected. Although they are distinct, what we find is that what we fear actually reveals what we love the most. What we fear actually reveals the true treasures of our heart, what we actually prioritize. Show me your fears I'll show you my fears, and you will find out what I actually love. The reason why there is a healthy fear in my heart for something to happen to my children is because I deeply love them. I want to see them do well. And the reason why we, we got into the example of, of marriage, the reason why there's fear in something happening in marriage is because there is such a deep love in marriage, we would never want anything to happen in that marriage. So, lost my sheet. So the, the, do I have a thing here? The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is flowing forth from the love of God. 
The fear of God is like in a covenant marriage. Now you're in covenant marriage with Jesus. This, there is such a jealous love that we have for God that we wouldn't dare allow our lives to move in a direction that would hurt that which we love the most. So when we talk about fearing God, it's actually this holy zeal, this holy jealousy, this, this, this godly stewardship to protect and guard that which is most sacred to us, which is the intimacy that we have been given. The God who could have smited us has opened the doors for us to come to know him. And we tremble with a jealous love to say, God, because I love you so much, I would never dare do something that would ever disrupt that which I find most precious. Oh God, I treasure our intimacy to such a degree. I love you so much that there is a fearful trembling to ever do something that would wound the one that has first place in my heart. This is the fear of God for a believer that causes a trouble. It's a jealous love to protect, to zeal, uh, with zeal, to steward what God has given us. And I, I want to put before you, this is where we were last week, but I want to put before you today, just as there is no tension in the fear of God and the love of God, there is no tension in the fear of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. There is no tension in the fear of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. Just as we worked through last week to see that love is fueling fear and fear is actually fueling love in the right understanding, so it is with joy. The fear of God, guys, we, this is like we're just breaking open foundations so we can build from here. But as a believer, we need to understand something. The fear of God is not a gloomy alternative to the joy of the Lord. I, illustrations tell me, I was thinking about, how, Lord, how could I present this? And I thought about a few uh, months ago how I had almost back-to-back sleepovers with my kids. COVID, everything was shut down, so we had sleepovers. Gabriel, in particular, he's turned five. So we had like six to eight five-year-olds that came and slept over. And it was uh, wild, to say the least. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. But uh, Crystal, I don't know what happened. She just said, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> so... Uh, so it was, it was me, and we watched, we watched the new Tom and Jerry. We had ice cream, and they're in the room, and they're all having fun. And after the, move, after the movie was over, I could hear them. They're jumping up and down. They're like, they're having the time of their life. And I said, all right, let it ride it out. But you know, at some point, they heard that dreaded, dreaded knock on the door. I came in and said, all right, guys, it's time for lights out. Your parents will kill me if you stay up any longer than this, right? But what I find is that because we don't have a good grasp on the fear of God, we present the fear of the Lord like a responsible parent to the joy of the Lord. Like it's the one that's got to come in, knock on the door and say, okay, guys, okay, that's enough joy for now. That you've had enough. Now it's time to remember who he is. I want you to know, I want you to know that the joy of the Lord is actually so rooted in the fear of God. It is the awesome trembling before all that he is that brings pleasure to our hearts. The fear of God and the joy of the Lord are not at odds. They're, they're deeply connected. How could that be? How could God give us a fear that is to, to quench our joy when the scriptures command over and over that one of our primary marks is to be a people of joy? One of our primary marks is to find God as our ultimate source of pleasure. Would then God put a fear that would actually quench that? L- listen, listen to this. Philippians 4.4, 4. it's not on the sheet. I'm just going to read these. Look at how we're supposed to have joy. I want, you to, I want you to see this is going to, I promise, we're going to see how this hits with fear. Rejoice in the Lord always. That, that's enough right there. We are, if we're supposed to walk in the fear of the Lord and rejoice always, somehow these two things need to come together. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord. Do you hear this? Where's, where's, what's the source of pleasure here? It's God, every time, God. Psalm 32.11, be glad in the Lord. Psalm 36, 8, David said, I drink from the rivers of your pleasure. Oh my goodness. God is a river of pleasure. Do you know that God is the true source of pleasure? See, fear of the Lord brings us to the holy fascination. This is what kills compromise because this God's beauty and goodness is what sets us free from the pull of inferior pleasures because now we've seen the most superior pleasure. The power of temptation rests on a deceptive promise that sin is more satisfying than living for God. I want you to know that God is the source of true pleasure. You and I were made to be fascinated, but it's by God himself. Satan only can counterfeit this. We drink from the rivers of his pleasure. 
We drink from the rivers. We are to be glad in him, rejoice in him. God himself is joy. Here's, a, here's another one, Psalm 1611. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Romans 14, 17 says the king, Paul says this. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but here's what it is. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Paul says, you want to know what the three staples are, the pillars of the kingdom of God? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Are we supposed to represent God's kingdom on the earth? Are we supposed to be ambassadors that bring the kingdom of heaven on earth? Yes, right? That means if we're going to represent God's kingdom on the earth, we need to walk in righteousness, peace, and joy. So then would God give us a fear that is some perverted, distorted checks and balances to say, okay, that's enough, that's enough. No, no, no. This fear is actually fueling a people of joy. Isaiah 61, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, Part of Jesus' mandate, set the captives free, give sight to the blind, right? We love that. He quotes it in Luke 4. Part of it is he's going to impart joy for mourning. Part of his job that he came under the unction of the Spirit is to impart joy for mourning. What joy? His joy. The oil of gladness. Nehemiah 8.10 says the joy of the world is our strength. No, the joy of the Lord. What does that mean about God? That means God is joyful. Jesus walked with the oil of gladness. Our strength is not the joy of this world. It's the joy of the Lord. Would then God give us a fear that's actually going to undermine a very source of strength? It would not happen like that. In 1 Timothy 1.11, Paul, you know how, what Paul refers to God as? He calls him the blessed God. You know what blessed means? Happy, joyful, glad. This, this is who God, if we're going to represent God, joy has to be a staple of who we are. And I want you to see, just as there was no tension in fear of God and love of God, there is no tension in the fear of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. Are you with me? To fear God, as we said last week, is to jealously love him. But hear me, and I promise we're going to flesh this out. It's not only to jealously love him, meaning we don't let our hearts go to any substitute idols because we love this. Just as I wouldn't let my heart go to another woman because I love my wife, it would be the same thing in this covenant relationship. That's the fear of the Lord for a believer. But it is also the fear of God is to delightfully tremble at his awesomeness. This is part of fear. You will delightfully tremble at his awesomeness. The fear of the Lord then is also a holy fascination that causes us to marvel at his majestic and infinite power and glory. This is so important, guys. We were meant to rejoice and tremble before the Lord. Not in a fear, but in an awe-filled wonder. This actually keeps our hearts connected to him. It keeps us wanting him. The fear of the Lord for a saint then is a way of speaking about the sheer intensity of the saint's happiness in God. See, the only appropriate response to his infinite magnificence is an enjoyment that so overwhelms us, it causes us to tremble. If I can find a measure, we said this with love last week. The expectation of love changes on the object of love. It's the same for joy. There is a measure of joy I find in watching a movie. But when we talk about a God who is infinite in every single way, like the beauty of beauty, what should be the right response to that? It is a delightful tremble that where the inner parts of us literally quake and say, I am undone, for I have never seen someone like this before. And my point is, and as we'll see, the more this hits our hearts, the more we can look at what Satan offers and says, are you kidding me? <laughs> why would I ever, ever want to set my heart on that thing when I have this? <laughs> why would I ever? So this is how the fear of God gets us to hate evil. Come with me to Isaiah 11, please. I feel like when I, you know, when you ask questions, it's like no one could ever really say the, the opposite. But because I was going to say, is this making sense? If anyone said no, I'm sorry, we've got to keep going anyway. <laughs> no, see me after. But really, are, are, you, are, you, are you tracking with me on this? All right, fear and love of God go hand in hand. We're seeing today how the fear of the Lord and the joy of the Lord. And this is so important to live as a victorious Christian. It's to walk in the joy of the Lord. So I want you to come with me Isaiah 11. And I want you to see, man, this is so powerful, this little uh, 
portion of scripture that it literally, it's just, it'll get us to completely rethink what it means to fear the Lord. Is everyone there? Isaiah 11. This one is not on your sheet. All right, this is one of the great messianic prophecies, I think. I love this one. This is in respects to the, the Spirit of God came and rested on Jesus. Where did that happen? At his baptism. So this prophecy was initiated at the baptism of Jesus. But what rested on him? We know the Holy Spirit, but what, what actually came with the Holy Spirit? Well, Isaiah 11 gives us the sevenfold uh, or the seven functions of the Spirit. It's actually worded in Revelation as the seven spirits of God. Do not be confused by that. There's one spirit, what it means, fullness. The fullness of God. Every function of the Holy Spirit came and rested on Jesus. <laughs> because what he walked in, he's then going to, when, he allowed, when, when Pentecost comes, it's going to be released on the church. Do you know, that the, do you know what it says? That these, these seven spirits of God, one spirit, but the sevenfold function. You, you know where you'll find is in Revelation. Revelation 1, 4, and 5. In Revelation 1, it says the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit, is before the throne of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is all operating at the throne. In Revelation 4, it says the seven spirits of God are like seven blazing torches. In Revelation 5, it gives apocalyptic imagery of Jesus as a lamb that was slain but is now standing. And it says he has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Speaks to power, all knowledge, that which was in the heavens before the throne of the Father, never before had it come in its fullness on a man before. When the heavens were rend open and tore open, this fullness of the Holy Spirit came upon a man that John said, I saw the one who where the Spirit came, it rested, remained, and was without measure. What rested on Jesus? This right here in all of its glory. Jesus is fully God, but he was fully man. This is important. Why would Jesus need the Holy Spirit like this if he's fully God? He never stopped being God, but he actually lived on this earth as a man. He really lived dependent on the Spirit. It's not the best analogy because whenever you talk about the, the, here's the fancy with the hypostatic union or the incarnation, God and man coming together, every analogy breaks down. But, but here's one that I like to share. You can be on a laptop and just use the battery and function that way, or you can plug the laptop in, and it can be powered from an external source. Jesus could have pulled from his internal deity, never stopped being God, but by the Spirit, he actually pulled from an external source, the Holy Spirit, to fully live as a man, to represent us before God, to open the door for many sons and daughters to follow. So he walks in the power of the Holy Spirit this way. He actually depends on the Spirit. Look at the Gospel of Luke. Everywhere you see, the Spirit of God is mentioned with what Jesus is doing. This is so important because he's going to release this upon his church. Now look at verse 1. That's like, that's a whole other sermon. I don't want to get into that. I feel like this is Pentecost Sunday now. But I, I want you to see this because we're going to ask. We're going to ask, say, Lord, we want to walk in this. We want to walk in all that you walked in. Look at verse 1. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Okay, stop here. Again, I don't want to get too much in the wrong lane, but this uses language of a stump of Jesse and this branch coming forth. In ancient Near Eastern culture, which is what Old Testament's written in, you will find tree language used everywhere. Tree language is used to describe, it's a symbolic form of describing kingdoms. Jesus did this as well. He equates the kingdom of God to a seed that grows up into a mighty tree. You'll find this all throughout the prophets. They use trees to describe how strong a kingdom is. Here it says that there is a stump of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. So what's being described is the Davidic family line because the Messiah, Jesus, would come through this line. And it is not a strong tree. Because of rebellion and captivity, it has been cut down to a stump. The future of Israel looks hopeless. It looks bleak. But Isaiah begins to see this vision of this tiny, tender little twig coming forth from a cut-down stump. It speaks of the obscurity of Jesus' kingdom. He should have come as an already established tree, but he came as a baby in a manger. He came as a tiny little tender shoot, and all of humanity's hope was hinging on this man, the Lord of all, now being a baby and being dependent on humanity to raise him. 
It's incredible. And he sees this tiny shoot that will eventually, it will be in a strong established kingdom of God where all kingdoms will become his kingdom, Revelation says. But it starts right here. And here's what's on him. Verse 2. Man, we got to come back to that, huh? <laughs> it says, verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord, that's the first one, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, meaning the Spirit of might, ready? The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So what rested on Jesus? The spirit of the fear of the Lord. Guys, just stop for a moment. This is like, you have to stop and think about this. The Lord of all so humbled himself, became a man, and walked in the fear of the Lord. This is mind-blowing. But here's the last part. Look at what it says in verse 3. This is, this is the key for us today, what we're talking about, fear and joy. At the end of this, with the fear of the Lord coming upon him, verse 3 says, and his delight... His pleasure, his joy, his gladness will be in what? Will be in the fear of the Lord. You say, hold on, wait, wait, you, you misread that. Surely it must say his dread was in the fear of the Lord. Surely Jesus found it gloomy to walk in the fear of the Lord. Surely Jesus was forced into this. Surely this is something he wished he did not have to walk in. I mean, Jesus came and said, Father, I'll do whatever you ask. The love of the Lord, the joy of the Lord, but fine, if I have to, I'll embrace the fear of the Lord as well to fulfill all righteousness. Is that what it says? No. It says, Jesus walked in a fear of God and says, and he delighted in it. For Jesus, joy was not diminished by the fear of the Lord. It was actually being fueled by it. He was actually finding a deeper fervency to rejoice because he was walking in the fear of the Lord. How many want to know what that fear of God is? <laughs> I want, to, I want to walk in this fear. And here's the key. This is so important for us to connect it to us. God's great purpose in salvation was to make Jesus, this is Romans 8, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What does that mean? It means what God is doing in salvation is taking the sonship of Jesus and he's imparting it to us. Now just think about that. That's, again, worthy of its own teaching that everything that Jesus walked in, his righteousness. This is why in 1 John 4, we said last week, just as he was in the world, so are we. Literally, you have not received a second-hand sonship. You have actually received the sonship of Jesus. When you come before the Father, he sees Jesus over you. Everything that he did, Jesus became everything we are so that we could walk in all that he is as a son. Now, that can open up a door for so many things, but today what that means is that Jesus wants to impart his fear that he walked in. Part of him imprinting his sonship in us is that we would walk in the same fear that he did, which is a fear that he delighted in. It's not a fear that, that he had to force to do. He said, I found joy in this. Here's, uh, here's just a, a quote that so wrecked me. A man by the name of Dr. Michael Reeves, he said this, he says, Jesus, this is for believers, so important. I think at some point we will come to the other side of this, but I want you here as believers. Jesus has not given us the dread of sinners before a holy judge. Guys, we had that fear. Jesus did, God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn it. It already was condemned. He sent it into the world to save it. No greater love than this, the one who laid down his life. Jesus came in love to lay down his life. Jesus has not given believers who have been brought into the sonship of Give it up for Ray. Yeah, Ray. 
All right, let's, let's, let's stay engaged here. Look, Jesus, Jesus has not given us the dread of sinners before a holy judge. Listen to this. This is important. Nor is it simply the awe of creatures before their tremendous creator. So the fear that we have is not just a creature-to-creator relationship, something different. Here's the fear that Jesus has imparted to us. It is the overwhelmed devotion of children marveling at the kindness and righteousness and glory and complete magnificence of the Father. This is the sonship fear that Christ has given to us. Guys, Jesus has not just made us accepted before a holy judge. I will never dismiss that. Like, that is so important. That's called being justified. But you're not just accepted. You're not just in right position. You're in right relationship now. You're not just accepted. You're actually adopted and adored as his children. And if you're not careful, we can stop at being justified and know I'm in right position. The right position is unto the right relationship. And we, as, his, as sons like Jesus, have a holy filled fascination over all that our father is i want you to see i want you to see few few of the scriptures i want you to see this stunning fusion of fear of the lord and joy of the lord how it's throughout the scriptures and i promise it's going to get even clearer and clearer i want you to um look at look at your sheet everyone have it all right i actually didn't put this one on here but here's here's another one matthew i know i'm just thinking about it Guys, this is what happens as you, as you become a pastor. You just, you always say it's five more minutes and then you keep going. But no, I'm, I'm just thinking about this one now. Matthew 28, 8, the, the Marys come to the tomb to give a proper burial to Jesus. To their amazement, they don't find him there, but an angel in the glory of the Lord. And it says the one you're looking for, he's not here, he has risen. And then he, the angel commissions them to go to Galilee to tell the disciples. And in Matthew 28, 8, it says, and they depart with fear and great joy. <laughs> fear and joy going hand in hand. How can that be? This was an awe-filled fear that they just encountered the one who conquered the grave. Like they were filled with joy. It shook them to the core that God had done this. Look at Nehemiah 1.11. It says, O Lord... Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Delight, joy in the fear of the Lord. But this one is so important right here, Psalm 2. I want, make sure you're watching this, guys. This is like, this is so key. David pens this and David says this, serve the Lord with fear. Now, Psalm 102 it says, serve the Lord with gladness. So what is it? Serve him with fear or serve him with gladness? Well, again, what we're finding is that joy and fear of the Lord go hand in hand. David pens this. David is the one who said, one thing I long for, one thing I ask, all the days of my life to be in the temple of God, to what? To behold his beauty. David understood the connection that beholding the breathtaking awesomeness of God actually produces a delightful tremble that gets you to go after him in ways you would not without it. It starts to change you on the inside. And if you question the whole thing, look at the next part. This is so key. Serve the Lord with fear and what? And rejoice with trembling. <laughs> this is like, I, I read these things, I'm like, hold on. You know, you just breeze over these. What does that mean to rejoice with trembling? Isn't that at odds with one another? Isn't rejoice on one hand and tremble on the other? No, no, no. This is, a, this is an internal trembling where you can't take what you're witnessing, what you're beholding. Does everyone, everyone follow me? This right here, I feel like, brings this whole thing together. I, I asked the Lord, I said, God, I want to I be able to give an illustration that would communicate this. And, uh, and I really think this will help really put like a bow on what we're saying here. One of my great, um, one of the great blessings of living in this community, among many things, is that we live right next to a beach. And so my family and I, we love to go down to Smith Point, not just on summer days, but even after work, five, six o'clock, I'm sure a lot of you do, just to go and watch the water. But more than that, what we really love to do is we love to go down there when we know a hurricane is coming. We love it. How many like to do that, right? In fact, I've actually pulled up, I saw the Sullivan's there once. I've seen people down there. There's so, I want everyone, this is so important. This is so important. 
there's something about little old me stepping out. And we try to get as close as we can before the storm comes. <laughs> I mean, if the lightning is like right out there, but not on the, on the sand, it's like we're good. There's something about me stepping my toes into that water and beginning to behold the wind that begins to swirl. The thunder that's out in the distance that I can hear rumbling in the crowds. The waves that are crashing all over. There's something it does to my heart when I gaze upon and behold something that I know I can't contain. I can't control. It's more powerful than me. There's an awe that it fills my heart that I actually find it delightful. But stay with me. Do you know why I find it delightful? Everything would shift if I stood in that water and the waves began to crash over me. <laughs> Everything would shift. You see, you know why I find it delightful? Because I know it will not destroy me. Stay with me. I was thinking about my, my oldest son. I took him to Jurassic Park a few years ago when it just came out. I felt like he was old enough. It was a clean movie, but it's intense, and it's the same story. Somehow the dinosaur gets out again and wreaks havoc on a modern-day city, right? This is a powerful beast going around. And at the end of the movie, I said, Caden, what do you think? And he said, Dad, it was awesome to watch something of power like that. Do you know why he thought it was awesome and not terrifying and ran out in that sense? It's only awesome if he knows the dinosaur is not gonna come out of the screen. <laughs> we would run in fear if the dinosaur came out of that screen, but he knows that's not gonna happen. Oh, I feel a heavy anointing around. Listen, here's, you wanna know what Jesus did? Jesus removed the threat of harm before the holiness of God. See. Every man knows intrinsically that if God is real and he's holy and I've sinned, I can't come. You die. This is why man says, I die before the presence of God. They cannot stand before it. But what Jesus did through his blood when you receive him is he's removed the threat of harm. I don't fear when I come to this, the shores of the infinite God that he will swallow me up and destroy me now. Why? And I want to be clear. I don't want you to think Jesus and the Father are at odds. The Father did this through the Son. He removed the threat of destruction. He removed the threat that I would ever be destroyed so that, and left the most beautiful fear. He left the ability now to behold his beauty. Now the father, if we were on that ocean, says, come near. Oh, my son, my daughter, come close. I promise you, you will not die. Oh, your ways and things, but you will, be, you will find new life in me. We get to 2 Corinthians 3, come and behold the glory of the Lord now. And be transformed by what we are beholding. This is why we are so adamant about getting in the prayer room. To come in and set our hearts on him. Because it's through the knowledge of God that we change. If you are called to this house, I'll say it again. You are called to the vision of this house. Which starts with being connected to the Lord in that prayer room. And setting your heart to behold him morning and night. Because this is where you're changing. We get to stand before and say, God, I'm a son and daughter now. Isn't that such amazing news? Jesus has removed the, the sinful fear, but he has left the trembling delight that thrills us. It says, God, I can't control you, but this is so amazing. I, I even think to a, to a degree, this is why we love things like roller coasters and whatnot. There's a part where it thrills us as long as we know we cannot be harmed. I want you to know that, that if you've been covered by the blood of Jesus, the Father, there, there's, you will not die before that. <laughs> you can come close. That's how sufficient his covering is. Now, if the, ocean, if the ocean can do that, what should God do to our hearts? Guys, this is, this is I'm not, like, I feel God doing something in my heart that I've never felt before in this, really. I really do. And if, when I hear that, I say, I'm more moved by an ocean at times. I, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with it, but what am I missing? Right? Don't you want to, God, give us the fear of the Lord that causes us to tremble again. Such a delightful tremble. If, if, if that's not happening, I know it is in my life. Maybe it's different. I'm just distracted. I'm just not looking. They say, no, you don't understand. I've looked. No, no, no. Look again. Look again until we set our attention on If God's heart makes us do this, I mean, if the ocean can do this, what would God do? Do you know that Psalm 113.6 says that God has to humble himself to behold the heavens and the earth? Psalm 113.6 says God has to humble himself to behold the heavens and the earth. Now think about this. That ocean overwhelms me. You know what God says? It took me humility to make it. 
It took me, the very thing that, that puts a quake in our heart, that thrills us, God says, it takes me humility to make that. Because even though it seems deathless to you, it still has a bottom, but I do not. Even though you can't contain its power and it seems like it's limitless, it still has restrictions, but I do not. Who is this God? Lord, how can we come in and be bored and unmoved? We're just looking at the wrong thing. We're, our heart is in the wrong thing. God, bring us back to a one thing, a heart that sees you. My goodness. Like that's what I, I just, it's a provoking and a heart. Say, God, we need it, Lord. We want, I want it. I know my life is, is not in life, but I want that. I want that. Um, Charles Spurgeon, after like the Lord was downloading these things, he has this quote that just, again, just says it better than I ever could in, <laughs> with his poetic writing. And I want you to hear this. Charles Spurgeon said, gazing upon the vast expanses of water, looking up to the innumerable stars, examining the wing of an insect, and seeing there the matchless skill of God displayed in the minute, or standing in a thunderstorm, watching as best you can the flashes of lightning and listening to the thunder of Yahweh's voice. Ready? That's what he says. He says, have you not often shrunken to yourself and said, great God, how terrible thou art? Not afraid, but full of delight. Like a child who rejoices to see his father's wealth, his father's wisdom, and his father's power. Happy and at home, but feeling oh so little. <laughs> this is the rejoicing fear of God. Look at Isaiah 65. I'll just hit these last few and we'll close. I know I shared this last week. I just, you have to, I want you to see this again. Isaiah 65 says, then you shall, you know what this is, how Isaiah 60 starts? Arise and shine for a great light has come upon you who is in thick darkness. The glory of God. Now look what it says in response. Then you shall see what? This glorious coming of the Lord and be radiant your heart shall thrill and rejoice. I put in parentheses fear after thrill because I said last week that word thrill is the same verb that's used to describe fear in the Hebrew. How many of you have a King James translation? Anyone? It actually in your translation says, when I see his glory, my heart shall fear and be enlarged. What is it talking about? It's talking about a joyful emotion where the heart begins to throb over what it's seeing. It is thrilled at his awesomeness. Look at Psalm 33.8. This is written in a poetic way. The, the second line confirms the first. It says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Ready for the next part? Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. What does it mean to fear him here? To stand in awe. Look at Psalm 139.14. We quote this all the time. Hopefully this gives you better understanding to what it means. David says, I praise you, I bless you, I rejoice. Why? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What does that mean, I'm fearfully made? What David's saying, I rejoice because you have made me. I am awesomely made. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I am fearful. Like, I am, I am undone. I'm overwhelmed when I consider who I am and the complexities of who I am and that you have made me. This is the fear of God. It's mixed with wonder and rejoicing. Again, for the believer, look at Psalm 112. Last two. You guys good? Psalm 112.1. Oh, this one is so good. It says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. What does blessed mean? Again, Happy, joyful, joyful, glad. Uh, uh, the one who rejoices is the one who what? Who fears the Lord. No, no, you got that wrong. <laughs> I thought naturally the fear of God would produce one who is morose and stuffy and gloomy. Actually, quite the opposite. Right fear of God actually has an uplifting effect where it makes you joyful because it's connecting you with the most beautiful, superior pleasure, God himself. Blessed, ready? Here, listen to the last part. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So when you fear God, there is such a joy in this, in this holy fascination that it causes you to delight in keeping his commandments. Do you, do you hear that? Delight in keeping his commandments 
This is an internal shift that the fear of God does. You are so captivated by the one that you see that you delight to do what he's asked you to do. How many of you want to not begrudgingly follow God and try just to avoid the wrong things? It is the fear of the Lord being so overwhelmed that caused you to say, as I've said many times today, why would I ever anchor myself here? This is pleasure. This brings me joy. This is, this, this is what sets people to really pursue God with a heart that loves him. Um, Proverbs 8, 13 says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord doesn't just teach you to say no to evil. The fear of the Lord doesn't just teach you to renounce evil. The fear of the Lord teaches you to loathe evil. Hate evil from the inside. Why? Because God is your superior pleasure. The fear of God, the fear of God teaches us to not just hate sin because of punishment. We hate, we hate, we hate sin because we love God. The fear of the Lord, you will become so captivated by who he is that how do you know you're growing in godly fear? When you hate evil, not because of the prospect or hell and punishment, but because you're so in love with God. That's how you know. If The only reason why, there's something more. There's something more God wants to take us in. Where I'm avoiding things, I'm not doing it, not because it's like, well, I don't know, this could really hurt my life. Or No, I'm doing it because it's like, God, this would offend the one I love. This would, this would rob something. This is the fear of the Lord that touches a heart. God is more, God is after something more than just gritting our teeth to avoid evil. He wants to conquer our hearts with his awesomeness. Like this is so important. We just need to say, God, we can't move until this is hitting our hearts. The, the grandeur of God, the glory of God, it pulls us up and away from self. This is what happens. I picture a beautiful painting. Have you ever walked by a beautiful painting in a house, museum, exhibit, and when you walk by, you see it, and it, it causes you to stop? And then what happens is you actually start moving closer and closer and closer to inspect every little detail because you find it so wonderful. This is what the beauty of God, this is what the fear of the Lord will do. You find him so captivating, it actually draws you in. God does not drive us, he draws us. He draws us. This is how fear of the Lord sets our hearts. We, we internally quake, overwhelmed, and it actually causes us to come closer and closer and closer, which is why we hate evil. Last one, Psalm 47. Psalm 47, one and two. All the worshipers out here, which I know is everyone but worship team, worship leaders, aspiring worshipers, hear this. Clap your hands, all peoples. <laughs> They did it. All right. Shout to, well, whoa, hold on. I don't know where this is going to go. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. <laughs> so you come in. Now listen, I understand there's moments. There's moments where there's pockets of silence before God. I get it. Reve- Revelation talks about 30 minutes there was silence when he opened the scroll. So I get there's moments. But we have this idea that if people really fear God, it's going to be the most stiff, stuffy environment. When you see the flags and the dancing, I want you to know this is the fear of God. We are trembling at his awesomeness. This says, shout, clap, dance. The only thing we should not be doing is sitting bored before God. Why though? Why, is, why are people erupting with praise? Look at the part, verse 2. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. Why are we clapping? Why are we dancing with joy? Because he is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. The fear of the Lord breaks this idea that we were meant for passionless performance. To just grow in these abstract truths. Meanwhile, we don't feel anything before God. God is after something so much more than just memorizing a few Bible verses. Developing a few ministry skills. He wants, we were made to rejoice and tremble before him. This is where we find victory over sin. Singing, listen, this is why singing is the only appropriate response to the fear of the Lord. It's all throughout scripture. And I'll finish it here. This is for the worship team. Fear of the Lord should produce songs. In Exodus 15, when they came out of uh, the, the Red Sea, Moses led them in songs. And around verse 10, 11, he says, who is like you among the gods? He says, majestic in holiness. He says, doing awesome 
glorious deeds, wonders. That word awesome in the King James means fearful, glorious deeds. This is the fear of the God as a believer. We're overwhelmed by his awesome deeds that we rejoice. Martin Luther said this. I love this. He said, the fear of the Lord is the reason Christianity is the most song-filled of all religions. I, I, this was amazing. I thought about it. I said, wow, every religion has some type of like music, chants, whatever it may be. But one of the things that so separates Christianity is how there's just songs that come forth with joy over and over. This is because we're trembling at our creator, at our God. I'm going to ask worship team to come on up. I had a whole catalog of blessings on this thing, but save it another day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. So in just a moment, I feel, I, I, I just really feel we need to have a moment to worship and ask God to, to really, to really, um, we say, well, Lord, we want to see you rightly. <laughs> to really just press in in prayer for a moment and say, God, we, maybe we may not expo- experience the full effects right in this moment, but God, we're asking that something happens over these next few weeks. Again, God, we're asking that we would change, that you would bring us into a, a fascinating tremble before you. Um, and those I understand who need to go, it's, it's okay. We, we bless you all. We'll dismiss in just, just a moment. I'm just going to ask everyone to stand before we go. And for those who would like to stay, I invite you to worship with us for a few minutes. I really feel like this could be one of the more important parts of this is you asking God to do this. <laughs> you asking God. <clears throat> and I started by saying in Isaiah 11 that, that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and that Jesus walked with a delightful fear in the Lord and that God's heart is to impart Jesus' sonship to us. And that includes for today walking in this fear that we delight in. And I want to just put before you that Jesus was the Holy One. He was the Anointed One. His life dripped with the oil. The fullness of it was on Him. But when Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, He found Himself by no accident, by no coincidence, in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was where the Mount of Olives was. Gethsemane literally means olive press. Olive press. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think, the one who had the sevenfold spirit of God on him, the anointed one, like if you could, the true olive, <laughs> walked into an olive press. Because the way you make olive oil is you have to take the olive and you have to press it and crush it. And when you press it and crush it, the oil begins to flow from it. And Jesus, as he began to embrace the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross, was beginning to embrace the olive press. And when he was crushed, it says in Isaiah 53, on that cross, the oil began to drip from him. So that in Acts 2, it says the Spirit of God was poured out. What Spirit? This same Spirit, guys. This same Spirit. He wants us to walk in the Spirit of knowledge, Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of counsel, might. But for today, he wants us to walk in the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Will we ask, will we ask, say, Lord, I want to. I want God encounters that lead me into this. God, I want to delightfully tremble before you. Lord, I just ask even right now, right now, in my life, in every person's life, a part of this body. Oh God, we ask, would you lead us, Holy Spirit, to rejoice and tremble before you. God, that we would never be the same. Oh, we pray for God encounters that lead to holy fascination, God. We thank you that we can stand on the shore of your infinite holiness and majesty. 
And we can come confidently now, Lord, as your child and behold you. Holy Spirit, teach us how to behold. Teach us how to not move so quickly. Teach us how to not be so distracted. Teach us how to not move until we've seen. That we would be like the early church that says we cannot stop speaking about the one we have seen and heard. Oh Lord, may all the striving to prove to be good Christians, God, may we, may we learn to behold and let the natural byproduct be we can't stop speaking now. We can't stop living for you because we have seen. So I pray, I pray, I pray right now, Lord, as you see hearts draw near to you, as you see hearts take steps to you, I pray once again for the oil of heaven to fall upon them. And I pray that they would be saturated in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. I pray that we could say, I delight in the fear of the Lord. Not even in your own words, just begin to ask him. There's a power in the ask. You have not because you ask not. <laughs> there's something that happens when we just incline a heart in humility to say, Lord, there's something I want to walk in more. I ask you, God, Holy Spirit, would you lead me into the fear of the Lord? Would you renew my mind to the places where I've embraced wrong fear? something deeper than just reverence and respect that's great but we're meant to tremble before him tremble all the fear of the Lord it will cause us to fall down but it falls down and face towards him in holy adoration not fleeing from him Tremble. Pour out 
the spirit of the fear of the Lord. We want to tremble. Pour out the spirit of the fear of the Lord. We want to tremble. Pour out the spirit of the fear of the Lord. We want to tremble. We want to stand in awe of you. Oh, pour out the spirit of the fear of the Lord. We want to tremble. Oh, yeah, pour out the spirit of the fear of the Lord. We want to tremble. Oh, yes. Pour out the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Oh, the shoot that comes forth, the stump of Jesse has arrived. Oh, yeah, pour out the spirit of the fear of the Lord. We want to tremble. Won't you pour out your spirit on the fear of the Lord? We want to tremble. Draw us in, Lord, with the fear of the Lord. Oh, draw us in, Lord, with the fear of the Lord. Yeah, draw us in, Lord, with the fear of the Lord. We want to tremble. Yeah. Oh, won't you draw us in, Lord, with the fear of the Lord. Draw us in, Lord, with the fear of the Lord. Draw us in, Lord, with the fear of the Lord. We want to tremble. Won't you draw us in, Lord, with the fear of the Lord? Draw us in, Lord, with the fear of the Lord. Draw us in, Lord, with the fear of the Lord. We want to tremble. Yeah. Come on, ask him for it, ask him for it. Lord, rest it on Jesus, let it rest on us, Lord. Hey, hey. Oh, won't you draw us in, Lord, with the fear of the Lord. We won't shrink back. Oh, draw us in, Lord, with the fear of the Lord. At the weight of who you are, I will tremble, I will see you rightly. At the weight of who you are, I will tremble, I will
I will see you right. I will see 